0: Welcome to Spiritual Wanderlust, where we explore our interior life in search of the sacred. Many of us will travel the whole world to find ourselves, but here we'll follow those longings within to our spiritual and emotional landscapes. In each episode, we'll talk with inspiring guests, contemplative teachers, embodiment experts, neuropsychologists, and mystics. With a blend of ancient wisdom and modern science, along with a healthy dash of mischief, deep dive into divine intimacy and what it means to be whole. I'm your host, Kelly Deutsch. Hi everyone, Kelly Deutsch here, and today I'm being joined by Mark Kudalowski. I'm excited to have him here with us. Um, I've been looking forward to our conversation Mark is a lay contemplative and he's been exploring the intersection between Christian spirituality, the body and the natural world for 25 years. Um, He's a Benedictine oblate, he's a wilderness guide and he's an instructor of this Russian martial art called Sistema, which I'm excited to hear about too because it's possibly the only perhaps um, embodied, martial arts that's based in Christianity and Orthodox Christianity. I'll ask you more about that later, Mark. <laughs> um, Mark and his wife, Lisa, are co-directors of Metanoia Vermont, which is a small nonprofit um, based on their homestead with a mission to nurture the way of Christ through work and prayer and relationship with the land. So I know embodiment is very important to many of you, and I'm excited to talk about, with you about it today, Mark.
1: Thank you, Kelly. It's great to yeah. be here
0: Absolutely. Well, to get us started, I would love um, to start with the question, just what is embodiment? How would you define that? Because I know it's something that's very popular and a lot of us know that we need it, but sometimes beyond just having a general awareness of what's happening in my body, we're not really sure what that all includes. Mm-hmm. So what would you? how would you define that term?
1: Sure. That's a, that's a great question. When I think about the, the human person, Um, I think about the Christian anthropology that you see often referenced in like the New Testament letters at the beginning of Paul wishes that his hearers are well in body, soul, and spirit.
0: Hmm.
1: There's a sense that we have three parts, um, a body, you know, our physical form that's expressed in the world, and then our soul, which I might think of as our personality, it's the Greek word psyche. So it also is, you know, both our emotional self, our mental self, and our uniqueness and our personality, and then, which is also an interior aspect of ourself, and then there's our spirit, which is an aspect um, where we're connected to the divine indwelling and to God's presence that is more transpersonal yet still contained within our being. Mm. So to me, embodiment is a state where both soul and spirit um, are in intimate connection and relationship and expression in the body so that my body is bearing and expressing the reality of both my soul and also my spirit. And to some extent, if we might even say of of God's spirit, um, finding a, a place, a dwelling place within our body. And I think that's an invitation to all of us as incarnate beings, or as in the Christian tradition, we'd say it's made in the image and likeness of God, but it's by no means a guarantee by the time we, we come into adulthood, that we're able to keep that that um, connection and that and that shared uh, uh, presence and awareness between those three aspects of the self.
0: Yeah. Why is that? Why do we lose that sense of connection between body and spirit and soul?
1: Yeah, it's a great a great question. I think part part of it may be a natural part of the development process that. Um, as we go into a, a greater sense of individuation, we tend to identify a little more with mind and psyche and our, our emotions and our thoughts, a classic problem that many spiritual traditions talk about. Um, and then there's an, an additional issue of um, culturally, our culture is not very body aware. So we do a lot of things, um, <laughs> I mean, like we're doing right now, like being in front of screens, um, or watching movies, um, you know, with our phones, or even driving cars where the body is kind of um, just sort of something that's carried along, but we're really engaging primarily with thought and, and mind. And we, we often kind of lose awareness of our sensations the our body. Mm-hmm. Like I can be in front of a computer screen and go a couple hours and, you know, forget what's happening in my body. And it's, it's not until I get off that I actually feel, oh, I'm kind of stiff or even, you know, I have to pee, and I wasn't even I wasn't even tuned in enough to notice that. So that's another level mm. of that kind of disembodied nature, we might say, of some of our shared cultural experience. And then another issue that can happen is um, is trauma,
0: mm. um, and that
1: is that when we've experienced um, something that's an overload for our nervous system, you know, kind of too much, too fast, too soon. One of the protective mechanisms is a retreat of consciousness from the body when the pain is too great to bear consciously. So this could happen in something more circumstantial, like an auto accident um, or a physical trauma, or it could happen in something more, um, more harmful on the soul level, um, like situations of, of physical or sexual abuse where we, we disembody as a protective mechanism. And so then um body awareness and body sensation is kind of numbed a bit. And that can even be passed on through generations too. Um, You know, I'm a Polish American and and the culture has a long tradition of sort of enduring pain stoically and not necessarily feeling the feelings. Mm. Um, And so part of my own journey of embodiment was sort of learning to really listen and then feel the pain, not only of myself, but even even some of the collective pain that had been passed along,
0: Mm. not
1: fully... Um embodied or felt or experienced
0: mm-hmm. yeah i've I've just been reading recently um, it didn't start with you, which is one of the mm. books that really helped catalyze that um, intergenerational ah, exploration. Yeah. and that's been so fascinating to see how much we can um, even just on an epigenetic level, you know the yes. genetic changes that ha um, make us respond differently to stress and anxiety yes. and things and all the studies that they've done both in humans and in animals of you know yes. survivors of the holocaust and their offspring you know which my yeah. grandpa was one of them or yeah. um, you know people after 9/11 and it's yeah. remarkable to see how much we are affected by things that we didn't personally experience you know and yes. I mean that's yeah. i feel like the big um, discussion um, the book, My Grandmother's Hands, you know, the interracial, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah just burden that's carried by generations. It's... Yeah.
1: And that it's carried yeah. in, in the bodies of both, you know, people that are in the role of oppressed and also in people in the role of oppressor. And mm. so if we if we only try to address some of these these big issues cognitively and with a, a sort of a sense of will, you know, you should be able to do better if we don't address the trauma in the body, I think we'll, we'll have limited success. So it's 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 real, I think it's it's wonderful that these sort of dimensions of um, of social um, social issues and social evils is, are starting to enter the conversation.
0: Amen. That's so big, and I I'm sure for many people listening, but also for me personally, to say addressing trauma through talk therapy or spiritual direction or any of those things where it's a, a more disembodied thing <laughs> it just it can only go so far you yeah. know and so addressing it more on an embodied level where it's stored in our autonomic nervous system and our muscles and everything yeah. else the patterns our epigenetics i mean wow it's remarkable yeah. to see what what changes can happen
1: yeah yeah no it's, it's an exciting time to be able to be Entering yeah. Into some of these films,
0: Yeah. You kind of hinted while you were sharing there that, you know, because of your heritage, it took you some time to actually come home to your body in a sense. And mm-hmm. I'm curious if you would share a little bit of your story about how you came to a place of being more embodied.
1: Yes. Yeah. So for myself, I mean, I grew up always being drawn towards the physical. <laughs> um, and so that, that came out with a, a lot of interest in sports and, and I would, was drawn to the most physical sports that were available to me, so hockey and football and uh, rugby and just these things where there's a lot of you know bodies coming into <laughs> coming into contact with other bodies and, but it was always kind of accompanied with with a lot of will and tension. So you know you'd psych yourself up or you do weightlifting and a lot of heavy exertion with the intention of sort of building strength and and, and sort of power and that, you know, also can only take you so far. Um, and it's, it's a lot of the teaching of kind of overriding, um, overriding pain, you know, no, no pain, no gain, you know, kind of push harder, push through, um, mm-hmm. the, the ethos of those sports. And what really came to head for me is I, is I had a, a, knee injury that, that was not, um, not healing easily that I in when I was about 20 and, I had a surgery that ended up being much worse than the injury, and in that I, I um, had an epidural um, injection for anesthetic, which then um, ended up going poorly, and I, and I had developed a spinal fluid leak and, and lost quite a bit of fu- spinal fluid. And had you know, I was more of the, the mechanistic, you know, doc just fixed me, so I can get back to playing sports mode. But for six months, nothing was working, and increasingly intensive. Uh, interventions in the Western medical field. And then kind of out of desperation as things were getting worse with with no help, I started looking for alternatives. And in that time, um, two things happened. First of all, it was psychologically very difficult for me. And I first was exposed to the Christian contemplative tradition and practices and learned about centering prayer and spent some time at a Benedictine monastery. Um, Mount Savior in in upstate New York where I'm still an oblate and simultaneously I I was introduced to the practice of qigong which Mm -hmm. some people some of the listeners may be familiar with but it's um, the uh, embodied or body-based practice in a traditional Chinese uh, medical system and the form I was introduced to did a lot of work with with healing through breath work and visualization and and feeling sensing um, qi or kind of a subtle bioenergy within the body and i mm. i recovered within within a few months of being given practices that i did for 2 hours a day every day so and it just and i started feeling all these the energies and sensations in my body that this whole other aspect of the human experience that i never even knew existed so it was a huge eye opener for me and and i got better um in a way that didn't fit with the western model model like i nobody ever, you know, nobody ever patched the hole in my spinal, um, you know, the, the, sheath around my spinal cord, but I stopped having problems and started feeling much, much better. And so that began a journey of exploring this whole realm, um, and was only 20 and that continued, um, exploring within that realm of, of Qigong for about a decade until I, well, I still, you know, I still, um, have awareness of that practice and, and I'm grateful for it but I shifted my focus towards the um, to the Russian tradition when I discovered that in 2008 um, because it, it helped to kind of bridge the world between the physical practice I was doing and the spiritual practice as I was doing because as you mentioned it, it is a tradition that emerged from the Orthodox Christian practice and there are there are subtle differences but a lot of also um, complementary themes with the, the style of Qigong that I had learned um, mm-hmm. earlier so
0: yeah. Would you tell us a little bit about that? This sistema, the the Russian practice, because, and also why why would it be important that it has a Christian foundation?
1: Yeah, that's a, a great question. And this gets into a a, um, a realm that I want sort to of as speak with with some subtlety here because I don't want to come across as saying that you know it's you know it's better just because it's Christian or that Christians shouldn't be doing. You know, Tai Chi or, or yoga. I think there can be a, a place for that, but the deeper one goes, this is my my in my own experience. And there are people that I, I respect very well who, who take a different stance on this. That's why I say with with you know, with humility and charity. My experience has been that the further one goes in an embodied practice, you are actually um, changing your physiology and your nervous system and the energetic system towards the imprint that the practices. Um, Give or impress. And so, well, I think spiritual traditions may, like the more you're working with the transcendent transcendent spiritual aspect of the tradition and practice, it points towards a reality and experience that's universal. But the more you're working with the embodied practice, you're actually dealing with an aspect of the tradition that is particular because it's actually bringing the practice Mm -hmm. into your own flesh and tissue, which is always unique and particular. Mm -hmm. So you can only, you, each of us has a body, which is not at all universal. You know, my body is not your body, even though we may be sharing in the same spirit. Mm. So there's a particular aspect to it. And the traditions, what I've noticed is that they do shape the body and the nervous system in in different ways. They're all positive compared to a, a, a non-trained um, state as we typically encounter in our culture, but mm. they're different. And so for me, the sistema brought a unity to the... Um, the themes of, of the Christian contemplative path of the um, self-emptying uh, or kenosis in Greek and the um, the incarnational aspect, the, the the emphasis of God entering into the body, becoming body, uh, image of Jesus in the transfiguration, sort of becoming a body of light. These are all themes that are, are very important. And, and Christianity has a particular take on these things. The value of suffering um, is another one that. Hmm. Christianity has a lot to say about how um, willingly um, embracing and being present with our pain in dialogue with both God and the pain can be transformative for ourselves and for the world, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. So Sistema has um, practices that are in relationship and dialogue with those spiritual themes in a way that the Qigong practice that I was doing did not. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, even though there were many things that were beneficial about it. so, so for me, it really did bring a whole nother level of, of unity between body and spirit to um, engage with this tradition that emerged from the, the Christian hmm. um, Christian strain.
0: Um, my attention was snagged by something you said um, around suffering and how how Christianity can s- finds it to be transformative or at least potentially transformative. Potentially, yes. potentially. And I, I would be curious, um, to hear a little bit more about that because I think a lot of people, I mean, it's part of the human condition, right? We don't know what yes. to do with suffering and that's yes. what a lot yes. of religions are trying to respond to right. in essence. And right. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how Christianity and maybe um, in particular, what you've learned through Sistema, how that yes. has helped you um, respond to suffering.
1: Okay, yeah, well, let's let's break that down in, because there's so, much, there's so much there, it's such a rich topic. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about the so the more theological piece, and then I wanna to, and you can help me to remember if we, if we go off on a separate track to talk about the, what that looks like with the embodied practice of systema because mm. there are some very practical components to it. So first in the broader kind of theological sense, I find it's very helpful to think of the root of the meaning of the word suffering in English, which is what we commonly think of suffering in terms of experiencing pain, but it also means to allow. So you'll see in like more Shakespearean English, they will say, you know, or the King James version says, you know, suffer the little children to come unto me. Jesus is saying, allow them, you know, allow it to be. So to suffer, in a sense, is to consent to the reality of the pain that we're experiencing, to suffer it. Um, rather than, again, the what we were talking about earlier, to um, to numb to it or to push it away or to repress it because it's too much. Mm-hmm. So So when we suffer, we're actually experiencing the sensation of the pain. And if we have the capacity to suffer, which requires a certain amount of spaciousness and peace in the body, the suffering can kind of move through. Um, When we don't have the capacity, then again, there can be an overload where it goes into numbness or the pain is kind of stored in our tissues. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's a negative experience for us. But then if we happen to say later, in life, be in a position of power over others, and we haven't, um, we haven't dealt with that unprocessed pain. We may tend to pass it along or pass on a new pain to others, mm. um, un- totally unconsciously, and so we we perpetuate this the pain in the world by not being able to suffer it ourselves. Um, and I think Jesus is the the great image, Jesus on the cross, of refusing to pass the suffering along, but taking it in um, and, and bringing it, you know, bringing it to to surrender to God and feeling it in his body, you know, to the point that it was completely overwhelming Mm. and the mystery is also transformative, you know, that that the story doesn't end with his death. It ends or it continues with the resurrection. Mm -hmm. So with the transformation of the suffering. So I think there's a, there's a great um, image or archetype of, the transformative effect of suffering in the image of, of Jesus, or even in, in Isaiah's passages about the suffering servant, you know, prof- you know, prophesying about that mm-hmm. centuries earlier, that, that healing even of the collective, we must say the collective mass of pain of humanity by taking it in and then in relationship and conscious awareness of both holding the pain in the body in dialogue with the infinite love and presence of God also felt in the body there's an alchemy that kind of goes on that i think brings about healing of the suffering of the whole mm. and um while i hesitate to talk too much about my my own experience um i think this is the kind of thing that we, we do need to talk about is that over my journey with this this work it sort of went from primarily an experience of dealing with my own pain and my own suffering and some of my ancestral to later beginning to experience some of that not not even that much in my my day-to-day life but there are periods where where I've been you know led or invited by the spirit to spend time in solitary retreat and wilderness retreat and there is a, a sense of sometimes of feeling the pain of the collective coming into my body and being given that invitation to hold that in prayer and feeling some sense of some of that moving through and it's just a little hint and a little glimpse of oh this is some of what the Christian tradition is talking about this transformative power of suffering, mm. um, united to the suffering of Christ, um, yeah. so that my own body is in in some little way part of that cell of the mystical body of Christ that is doing some continuing to do some of that work in the world. And that's you know Paul has that that mysterious line I forget which epistle it is where he says make up you know in yourself what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And I was just like what is he talking about until this experience like oh. It's not lacking in the mystical body of Christ, but what he's meaning is that body continues in space and time and those who are united with it can share in that same embodied suffering mm. uh, and be a blessing for the world in, in doing so.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, growing up Catholic, we would call that redemptive suffering, but I have right. found very few people who can express it so eloquently, you know, instead of like, well, just offer it up, you know, unite right. your sufferings to Jesus on the cross and it's yeah. like there's a little more to it than just saying like all right Jesus this is yours
1: and when it's just said cognitively like that there's the danger that it actually becomes um, the opposite like it becomes destructive Mm. it's saying you know just you know just endure your suffering but if you don't have the tools to really experience it in your body it, it can feel sometimes like it's it's dismissive of the reality and the depth and the pain of the suffering so I think you know it's one of those things that is both transformative power in the tradition and held wrongly it, it can
0: mm.
1: it can be damaging i mean yeah. i know plenty of people that have grown up catholic that have had a, a negative experience of that type of oh,
0: absolutely. language held,
1: held uh, poorly mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. yeah it can end up becoming like a spiritual toxicity kind of thing where yeah. it's yeah just like endure it have fun right. or, you know but or
1: even or even people i over identifying with that as a role Oh sure. Um, like I'm, you know, I'm the, I forget what the term the is, murder. A victim, a victim soul as a term, you know, that God sure. is making me suffer and aren't I saving souls because I'm suffering so much. And, and it may just be that you're actually, you know, over-identifying with, with, with pain and, mm-hmm. and not, not holding it in an embodied way. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but you, but you see that because a person who's holding, who's not holding their pain in an embodied way, even if they talk about how great it is, there's a harshness and a a dissonance um, and a bitterness that goes along with it, where somebody who's truly experiencing embodying suffering, there's humility, gentleness, patience, um, mm. self control, you know, the fruits of the spirit. They're, they're there. And if you see them there, you know it.
0: You yeah. feel it.
1: are safe in their mm-hmm. presence. Um,
0: yeah. So do you think that that's almost a, I don't know if you want to call it a prerequisite to, um, really suffering in that transformative way is being able to have that inner spaciousness to I do. receive it in your body so yes. that it essentially doesn't become trauma. Yes.
1: And so that's so this is a, that's a perfect segue into talking about what would be a practice hmm. to help us do that. Yeah. So that's where we can start talking about in, in Systema, because I think you're right. If our body doesn't have the capacity to hold either trauma or actually let's, let's we'll stay in the theoretical level for a moment, um, or the glory of God, Mm. um because that's the other thing that in the later christian tradition especially mm. in the west with losing a sense of embodied spirituality i believe that there are these examples of saints that really open to the divine energies but without the capacity to hold it in their body and it's almost like you know putting a, a an electric current that's you know, 10 times too intense for the circuit that's holding it, and it can kind of blow the circuits. Mm. And so I think you get these cases of, of these, some of these really great saints who died quite young, often of illness, but I think first you, you hear them holding this almost a tremendous amount of energy. Um, Francis of Assisi would be one example, and you can always point to other things, you know, he fasted too much or whatever, but uh, Teresa of Lisieux being another one, you know, Francis died in his mid-40s, Teresa in you know, kind of early to mid-20s, um, and there are many others. And once again, I can't prove it, but it, from my own experience, it really feels mm-hmm. like there's an aspect of that. These people opened tremendously to divine power, but they didn't have a way to really hold it in the flesh over the long haul. Mm-hmm. Now, to contrast that, when you look at some of the desert monastics of old, Anthony of Egypt and St. Paul the Hermit and others, they recorded deaths were at 105, 106, within the, the known historic human age range, but at the far end of it. And I suspect that they were more tuned into some of these realities um, hmm. and practices from that earlier era. Once again, I can't prove it, but it's um, you see more of that in the early centuries of Christianity than you do in the later centuries. So I, I yeah,
0: suspect that's something that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, so share with us a bit what that looks like, like how do we carve yes. out that kind of capacity in us?
1: So the practice then, yeah, so, so in Sistema, um, there's four fundamental principles that we work with um, in doing the work. There's, um, there's breath work or breath awareness. There's movement or sort of natural soft, soft movement. Um, there's relaxation. Um, And then there's structure or alignment and form. So those four different pieces are always kind of incorporated into the different exercises and practices. And um, there are other pieces too, but those are in place. And so um, like a very typical early exercise that we do is starting a class, you spend time just breathing, noticing breath coming in and out of your body, like many other traditions do. and then we'll practice doing tension and relaxation. So you tense all the muscles in your body then relax them and tense them and relax them. And what you're doing is you're training your body to experience the, the full capacity of tension and the full experience of relaxation. And we're often kind of stuck in you know a three out of five in terms of tension, just default going through our body. So then when you try and give yourself the five and a one, um, then you start to regain a little of that fluidity and flexibility. Um, and then another thing we'll do is, is a lot of movement that's united with breath. So, um, like a, a you know moving an arm, you know doing a rot- arm rotation, but you're breathing at the same time, and you're feeling the breath leading the movement.
0: Hmm. So rather
1: than moving from muscular effort or strain or willfulness, you kind of let the gentle expansion of the breath kind of lead into a movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, you you learn to move with with less muscular effort, and more the sense of ease and flowing from breath. And there's a softness to it, and there's a and there's a smoothness to the movement that's different from that that kind of more willful movement from muscular strain tends to have a kind of a jerky quality to it. So the more you do that type of movement, your body softens, your nervous system system relaxes, and you gain um, a greater kind of holding capacity for tension. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of working with tension and relaxation. Mm-hmm. So now, so that's an example of a, a solo practice, those gentle movements and breath. But then, when we move into the martial component, um, in Systema, we don't use pads. Um, we do sparring always with bare hands and and without padding. So you spend an equal amount of time learning how to receive a strike as you do to give one.
0: Mm.
1: And the receiving aspect is, you know, if somebody, you know, somebody hits you, you know. And, and I'm just showing my chest because it's what you can see here. But it gives a strike, and then that is actually neutral. It's just force. Now, if my body is loose and relaxed, that force will kind of ripple through the body without doing harm. And in fact, if you're loose enough, it can actually soften a place where you have a little tightness or stuckness, just like a percussive massage will. <laughs> um, And so, and the key in the moment to to assisting with that is breathing. So when I, when I receive the strike, I exhale a little bit, I let the, the force of it kind of go through my body and I may even move a little bit, breathe, stay soft, stay relaxed and the energy dissipates. Hmm. And like I said, if you're really relaxed, it can even actually, you you come out of a session where you've been punched a lot, actually feeling better. (laughs) Um, Now we don't even think about, we think, oh, isn't that a terrible thing? You know, you're getting hit. But if you're getting hit with tension and you're, you're stiff, then the impact actually does damage to the tissues. Mm. So it's a completely different experience depending on your inner state. So the more you practice that, the more you learn to receive intensity of sensation and impact, whether it's a, a strike or wrestling or you know falling to the ground, being thrown to the ground, you receive it with softness and there is no break. There's no dissonance. And so, so that's all about receiving Um, impact now the same thing then translates to emotions you know somebody Mm. says something mean to you you can take it from the ego level get you know ow and then start fighting back you know in your mind or even externally and you get tense and you get stiff and you get angry and agitated your heart rate goes up or you breathe you soften you move you you let it kind of move through you Mm. and so these are you know these are some of the things that a practice like sistema builds the capacity for which then I my find translates into that ability to hold suffering, whether it's my own, the world's suffering. And then also even the, the positive things, like I was mentioning, that experience of God's presence, allowing mm. that to stretch out because it's also an intensity of sensation, even though it may be positive rather than mm-hmm. the negative, giving space in my body to breathe, to feel my tissues, my physical tissues actually be soft enough for that energy to, to have somewhere to go in my nervous system,
0: so to speak. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's, um, it just makes me think of, you know, practicing scales on piano or, you know, any other kind of practice or exercise where you're um, helping your muscle memory, if you will, like your your body, remember what to do in that circumstance so that, you know, my fingers know where to move on a piano or when I'm receiving an emotional or physical strike that I Mm -hmm. can soften and make space for and allow it to move through so that when those things do happen in life as yes. suffering inevitably comes. Yes. You know, that, that I can do the same that I'm used to having that stance of receptivity. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Hmm.
1: And, and something else that, that comes to my mind as, as we're speaking about this is the, um, the other thing with an embodied spirituality with, you know with a physical state like this that can receive these things is then um it assists greatly in the reality that we experience in prayer of divine mercy of divine forgiveness of love of god's you know life life light and and all the you know the, so the blessedness that can come in these moments in prayer it allows those um those experiences to be more connected to our embodied experience. Whereas without that, if the body is is in a state of tension and stress, I think what can often happen is when we go to prayer, to silent prayer, um, a practice like centering prayer or Christian meditation um, or some other meditative practice, um, we can experience peace and stillness in meditation, but it it tends to have almost a dreamlike quality of being happening out there somewhere else, Mm. apart from the body. And then when we come back to it, being in our body and moving, it's ow, stiff, pain, uncomfortable. And so they become kind of two different worlds. Whereas the more we, we allow and, and prepare the body to be open and soft, I think there can be a bridge between the experiences of the interior reality and prayer that then manifest more fully in the body. Mm. Um, and so there's this link or a unification again between uh, body and spirit and body, soul, and spirit that happens, um, I think is you know, uh, a critical work in our time to, uh, to allow that to happen.
0: Yeah, wow. My, my insides are just like processing all of this and putting together pieces from my own life and um, mm. periods of, of illness where, um, you know, when it felt like my life was falling apart, but really just trying to continue to open and receive and what yes. was happening both on a, on a physical level, emotional level, and a spiritual level in that kind of gesture of that interior stance of openness. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. That's lovely. So do you, I I don't even remember, do you teach Sistema? Is that something that you are active in or is it a personal practice?
1: Uh, Both both. So I've, I've been practicing since 2008, and then I, I became an instructor in, I guess, instructor in training in 2015, and then a, a, a full instructor in, in 2016, so it's mm. been about five years, um, and I I mean, our life at our homestead is, you know, we, we live in a small town of about a thousand folks, and so there have been a few years where we had a weekly system of practice, which would always mm. just be a few people in the, the local school gym, you know, and off hours, and then uh, currently, uh, my wife and I have been experimenting with doing a specific, uh, not so much teaching the martial part of Sistema, but um, doing a once a month, uh, we call it day of practice and integration, where we have a Saturday, it's a, a four hour or so time, specifically looking at the relationship between these types of embodied practices, drawing right. heavily from Sistema, though not exclusively, and prayer. So it's an integrated day of, of kind of embodied prayer practice. Yeah. Um, so we're, we started that this summer and uh, we have our third one coming up um, soon. So it's kind of a once a month um, activity.
0: Yeah, that sounds lovely. What What do you find? I mean, A, I assume most people, I mean, unless they've met you or know you for a long time have probably not heard of this before. Right. Um, so I'm curious what they think of it and what impact it has on on people who come.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Well. Um, first one, one thing I'll mention and this will be relevant to people hearing this, um, this recording or this, um, this talk is that, um, if you just hear your systema and then, and then go on a, a YouTube kind of deep dive, you'll see lots of images of, of, of combat systema. Mm. You'll see very little about what I'm talking about, the more subtle realms and, and mm. culturally in the Russian culture, there is a lot of that of, um, not being a little too forward with some of these these subtler elements, I do think it's worth our, our speaking about. But just to just to mention as a caveat, because what I will I've had retreats where I bring some of these practices forward, and we'll you know meet you know one day and do some of these practices and talk about, it. and then the next morning I'll see people come in wide eyed because they've just watched oh. you know videos of people in the in the Russian military you know hitting each other with sledgehammers or something. I'm like, is this really what we're doing? <laughs> well it's part of the same whole world, but it's, you know, it's just like, um, you know, it's just like Buddhist meditation and, you know, watching Jackie Chan beat somebody up in a movie. Like they're both tied to a traditional Chinese
0: sure.
1: practice, but they're, they're very, you know, there's lots of diversity of how those, those play out in, in the mm. world. So I'll just mention that um, for people to do a systema dive, but um, what I find, to, to go back to your question, when, when people encounter this for the first time, um, people who have a previously um, established spiritual practice, oftentimes you know, the bod- it takes a little while to get used to the body part, and it can be kind of uncomfortable at first mm. because we've, we've not seen this as an area where we really need to do work. So it's almost like a, a catch-up period. But then mm. when, when the work is done in the body A lot of things link up very quickly Hmm. um things that we've been experiencing in in the spiritual realm or in the soul realm um suddenly have a space to go in the body and it can be very exciting and very empowering um, in Hmm. a short period of time so there can be the sense of like you know it's the piece of that um body soul spirit that we've maybe you know is lagging behind the others and then when we give it some space there's like this rush of energy and um, sensation that, that that comes in, um, and so it can be a very positive experience, very very quickly.
0: Hmm. Yeah, um, beautiful.
1: And and like I said, and there can you know sometimes if the body hasn't been tended to for years or decades, the body has things to say. <laughs> you know, there can be painful emotions and sensations that that arise as well. So sometimes there needs to be patience and ideally support um, of other people in community or. Um, a mentor or somebody that can work with you in processing some of that pain that arises sometimes we've been Mm. disembodied for for very good reasons of self-protection and preservation so i'll say that too that sometimes that can can be an issue and it's good to be gentle with ourselves and you know the the concept of um, titration of you know a little bit at a time you know going in feeling some but not not trying to push through not being overwhelmed you know, Mm -hmm. letting experience settle, pushing, you know, opening up a little bit more feeling, letting the experience settle, opening up a little bit more.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I think it's um, easy for us again, kind of the Western mind of like, I just want to achieve and do this thing. And okay, I'm going to be embodied now, you know, (laughs) instead of recognizing that your body does have an inherent wisdom. And if, if you've been disembodied, there's, there's probably a reason for it. And that there almost needs to be a um, development of trust as yes. as more space is being opened up so that it doesn't just, you know, have yes. all the boxes in the attic come crashing down at the same time. Yeah, that's,
1: that's that's really well said. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And,
1: and, it's, and it's also beyond the personal, you know, there may be our personal mm. trauma, like we talked about that might lead to disembodiment, but also culturally, and so many of us don't have a lifestyle that, it, that encourages or supports that embodied sensation. So for example, if you're living in a, in a city and, you know, I guess not all of us go to work now, but, but walking to, you know, walking to work or, or going on the subway, you know, you're encountering thousands or tens of thousands, or maybe, I don't know, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people in a very short period of time. If your senses are as open as, you know, I after spending a week on a solo retreat in the woods um, it would completely be completely overwhelming and so we mm. you know, we, we shut down and we close down our senses to survive in that environment and that's okay that's actually a smart adaptation so you know just recognizing that some aspects of our life and lifestyle might not be conducive to fully sensing and feeling everything mm. right away now you can learn those practices in a city but it, it requires mm patience and building resilience and building the ability to, to filter what's mine and what's someone else's stuff and, and things and, and just, yeah, yeah there, it requires patience and subtlety and, and respecting what is right now as well as what's possible with some of this work. I think both, mm-hmm. you know, really need, both need to be respected.
0: Yes, yes. And I know I've talked about this elsewhere, but um, discovering all of the science between behind what it means to be a highly sensitive person and have a highly sensitive nervous system. Yes. Oh man, yes. <laughs> that changes so much. And I yes. I find, you know, I, the statistics are that, you know about one in five people have a highly sensitive nervous system but yes. I don't know about your experience but I would guess in contemplative circles it's more like one in two.
1: Sure, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. yeah. That I'm we're sure just more you. naturally drawn towards, you know the spiritual and the contemplative. And so a lot of people, you know, have that experience of Taking in stimulus really deeply, feeling other people's feelings very easily. I might be easily moved by beauty and music and movies, yes. um, but that also means being on the subway and sometimes just in those yes. environments can be really overwhelming to our yeah. senses. Yes. And so learning how to filter is an important skill. Yes.
1: And and this is an interesting thing. So with with practice, you know, with spiritual practice, um, and I do, I've done a, you know, a, I have a very small spiritual direction practice that I do, I don't advertise it, but just a few people, you know, come along. Sure. <laughs> but in, in working with folks in spiritual direction, I found that, you know, there are, you know, there are some people for whom the work is, how do I open up to feel more, you know, and to sense more and to be more present. And there are some people who I've you know, had the, the gift to work with for whom they're experiencing immense, you know, an immensity of, of information and, and very subtle information on, you know, on the, the psychic level, hmm. Um, and the real work is about how do I integrate that and, and actually give a greater cap- caring capacity and sometimes even tone things down a little bit to stay embodied, to not be totally overwhelmed with that. So in that circumstance, you know, the practice isn't so much about learning to sense and feel more as it is to really root the body. So there might be things like not doing this with tension, but doing it with awareness and strengthening ex- exercises. So in Sistema, we do... Like things like squats and push-ups um, with slow motion with breathing, where you're, it's really, really bringing energy into the body. And um, diet is another thing, actually. Mm-hmm. I find that that eating ground, more grounding food, um, you know, um, organic meats and um, good fats and proteins, um, root vegetables, these kind of denser foods, you know, still whole foods, not junk food, but but denser foods, because oftentimes. Um, people who are pursuing a spiritual life will often be doing a, you know, a raw food diet or a a very um, light diet, which can be supportive of sensitivity. But if you have too much sensitivity, it sometimes is the exact opposite. is helpful Uh, doing things, you know, both physically with your body Mm -hmm. and with your diet that help for rooting um, to kind of keep heaven and earth connected on that side. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I find all of that so fascinating because it's such a, um, I don't know. It, it can just be so life-changing when you recognize right. how your, how your body is made, how your nervous system is wired yes. and how to best care for that. You know, I, um, I remember, so I was in the convent for a number of years and my first home visit coming home and I walked through the, a mall for the first time in, you mm. know, over a year, mm. uh, maybe yeah. two, a year and a half. And it, I was so <laughs> overwhelmed by flashing lights and sounds and so many people. And I, like you know later, later learning that your nervous system it's your brain reaches what they call transmarginal inhibition which i nicknamed stim pop you know when your stimulus reaches a certain point you're just like you like okay I'm, I'm just done i like yeah. you just got to go lay down in a dark room or something yeah yeah. Um, yeah but not having the science behind that and knowing what's going on internally just makes so much more sense of it instead of yes. you know like I don't know what's going on with me and why I'm yeah. so overwhelmed or easily stressed yeah. out by crowds or whatever it might be for right. folks.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So, so fascinating. And it makes
1: me think another piece with, with the sistema around this, this issue of dealing with stimulation and sometimes too much is we do, and I, I talked about a little bit with receiving strikes, but there's, there's just a part of the practice is learning to receive You know, pain or unpleasant sensations with awareness, with breathing. You know, working with a loving partner—that's in in the you know exercise partner in the in the exercise who's supporting you. um, We can sort of learn to help build the capacity, and there are even solo practices. Like one of the ones that we do is working with breath holds. So um, you're doing breathing, soft breathing, and then you do a breath hold for a long period of time, and then at the end, you know, your body. Of course, experiences that as a, as a tension. The system's all amp up, and you hold as long as you can. And then, and then when you start to breathe again, you you learn breathing in a in a particular fashion that helps you to then come back to relaxation. So you're training your body from touching on the edge of that highly stimulated kind of you know edge of fight flight mm-hmm. to then back down into a place of ease and relaxation. And each time mm-hmm. you do that, over time, you know it builds the capacity. To know how to, to make the link from here back to here. And then you're just, and you get less, um, less overstimulated. And in Sistema, as the traditional art in the place where I'm more drawn to it is tied in with this Orthodox tradition, it was also um, co- adapted and in some cases co opted um, by the Soviets in the Soviet period. Um, some of the spiritual aspects repressed. um, But one of the things that the Soviets did in the military training was a lot of this um, work of training the soldier's nervous system so they wouldn't um, go into fight-or-flight mode when bullets were whizzing by and explosions all around. And so there's there's a practical military application of having a soldier that could stay within their rational mind and cognitive awareness in a situation that would often lead to a psychic break. And so there are whole methods for building psychic carrying capacity. Mm. Um, the breath holds being just one of them
0: sure right and that's I mean essentially what happens physiologically when we build resilience right I mean that's being able to have that fluid fluidity and I mean in neuroscience geek terms they call that vagal tone you know in Ah, the polyvagal where it's you know you're going you're able to transition from that sympathetic fight flight into the like ventral vagal that's the rest and digest and but it's It's beautiful to see how many different traditions have known this for centuries, if not millennia. Yes. Um, yeah. Might not use those terms, but they sure. they know sure. the interior um, sensations and awareness and how to yeah. transition between those states so that we can flow more easily instead of just getting stuck, you know, yes. in that kind of panicky state where, you know, when we can't go to sleep because our minds are a buzz and we have kind of a buzzy energy in our chest and to mm-hmm. help our bodies know how to downshift, essentially, from that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it reminds me of, of one um, another topic that <laughs> I've drawn to go into it right now just because it is one that I feel like there's a lot of, there are different opinions, and, and I have a, a sort of a minority opinion, it seems like, in this, in this area. And that is um, our relationship with anger, anger mm-hmm. and activism. Um, because part of this physiological aspect is that when you get angry um, and then go into action from that stimulated sense, it feels like you're doing real work and you're you're, you're actually really getting something done. And you know, if, you, if you're angry, it's, you know, and people talk a lot about, and even in, in spiritual circles, I hear a lot of language of channeling your anger mm. towards good or towards reform, um, channeling your anger for social change um, and, I believe that that's mistaken. Mm. Um, I believe that it's and, and in Systema, like when in sparring, the moment you get angry, you become less effective. Your mm. you know you're talking about your 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 um, sympathetic nervous system is all amped up. Your movements become more choppy. And the funny thing is, you f- when you when you are agitated like that and you're you're working with force, when you strike or you wrestle, you feel like you're stronger, but you're mm. actually weaker. And from being on the receiving end of thousands of strikes, I know that the more relaxed the person that's hitting me is, the more force that they're able to deliver. And the wow. more angry they are, the, the less effective it is. And so, but mm-hmm. it gives us this, this cognitive illusion. It feels good it, mm-hmm. to the ego, on the ego level. It feels like we're really doing something when we're angry, when we're raging at somebody, but it's actually less effective action. Um, and I think that's true on other levels too. And it's a, it's a false dichotomy to think we have to get angry in order to act with power. Mm. true power comes from that place of ease stillness can move into extremely um Mm. direct powerful action but it can still be held with love and the capacity to see the humanity of the other it does not require getting angry to act effectively Mm. if you have the false dichotomy that i can either act in anger or not act maybe maybe i can see yes it's good to get angry and act but on a more subtle level it's also possible to act from freedom and do more effective action. And I would argue that the most effective activists, over time, have acted from that place. You know, mm. Dr. King or Gandhi—examples, you know, people that were yeah. acting from love and freedom, um, very directly, very powerfully. Mm-hmm. So just just bring I, that up as a yeah. I love um, that I'm example
0: having. because it's it's much easier and much more tangible when you think about it in a sense of like a martial arts and like and being able to right. say like. I have been on the receiving end of a strike. Yeah. You know, I I know how these things feel when others, you know, are moving out of anger or moving from a place of ease. And yeah. I, I think of it for, you know, times I, I did a lot of leadership development in the corporate world and thinking, of, you know, leading people through emotional intelligence and how to have difficult right. conversations and even just thinking for myself if somebody you know, hit kind of a sensitive area for me and I got flared up with anger inside, right. I was like, this is not the time to have this conversation. Right. You know? yes. like, and <laughs> yes. recognizing that, I mean, I could just let my anger out and just lash out, but um, that would be far less effective than going back, getting grounded again, figuring out what I'm really feeling and what I really need and need to ask for. And I'm going to request or sometimes demand. Yes. <laughs> um, but having the time to, be at ease in my body allows, you know, my <laughs> prefrontal cortex to get back online so that I'm not just acting from, you know, that lizard brain yes. um, of, of anger, because yes. that that's not our uh, most developed part of ourselves. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. And the other thing with this, which is, I find so fascinating, and I, I love what you were just, just saying, the, and the wisdom of that, of, of that, being able to see that and to wait, but is that when we act from that agitated state, um, you know, you can say it's from the mirror neurons or whatever, but the other person is, is automatically invited to also enter into that agitated state. And so we come okay. agitation to agitation. And okay. one of the, the higher level kind of practices in Sistema is that, you know, a, pr- a practitioner who's staying totally relaxed and embodied in this way can enter into a conflict with a person who's agitated and angry and tense and diffuse the conflict either before coming to blows or even in the midst of engagement, by staying relaxed, and their nervous system will start to then relax. In the context when you don't pick up the other end of the stick, and it kind of scrambles the n- usual narrative of tension meeting tension,
0: yes, agitation
1: meeting agitation. So when you meet it with ease, you can actually diffuse that energy in another person. Sometimes when they don't even know what's going on because they just they're just they're not feeling the, the normal feedback that comes in a conflict.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, I I just think of you know, the handful of people that I've met in my life that have such a profound presence that you just, I mean, that's what happens when I listen to Jim Finley, for example, you know, like mm. listening to his mm. audiobook on the right. um, path to the palace of nowhere, Merton, mm. and just listening to his voice, you know, it just like his nervous system speaking across the waves, you know, just <laughs> calms me. And I just want to go soak in silence for the next three hours, you know? Yeah. And I think of yeah. people like that, whose presence has such a profound effect Um, that is a really concrete example of of what that kind of presence can do and to be able to bring that to conflict or bring that even to activism so that I mean if you're talking to you know your racist uncle or something like that instead of coming in with all of your you know ideas and arguments and can't you see instead of a depth of presence um, that might start with curiosity I mean it it changes everything, yes. like where you start from. And I'm sure it's the same in that martial changes. arts, Absolutely. like the starting point yep. is entirely different.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it, I agree. And that, yeah, that capacity to be in that space of curiosity is, is tremendously uh, diffusing. And when you start seeing the humanity in another person and have this, and then have the space in your body to be able to hold that, that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, the, the um, complexity of that, then very often the other person feels the space to then let down their guard, and then that's when a, a real human exchange can happen.
0: Yeah, beautiful. I I find that so incredibly important, especially when there is such need for social change that yes. um, it is very easy to default to the anger because it does feel much more powerful yes. and like we're actually going to get something done yeah. instead of um, allowing ourselves to be transformed and allow suffering to pass through us. Be receptive open curious you start from that deeper place of breath awareness whatever you want to call it Um, it changes everything yeah 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 yeah
1: and i mean it's you know it was a truism to say that you know the be the change you wish to to be in the world but but the the great gift of this type of work is that that's a gift no matter what is happening on the level of you know laws and reforms or you know whatever these more subtle things where there can be victories and setbacks and all that but this is always a gift to the people that we're in relationship with in any form mm-hmm. in this space. And you know, again, speaking about my you know my Eastern European background and doing a Russian martial art, you know, those of us you know those of us whose you know relatives, distant or or recent relatives, have gone through the the communist experience in Eastern Europe, you know, we have a little bit more caution about the idea of a big social reform that with the right ideas, it's just going to make everything better because. Sure. We tried that before and <laughs> did um didn't end well.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so just, but, but really, you know, the more we can stay at the level of body, presence, relationship, love, you know, not that there isn't a place for those larger issues, but always bringing this as, as primary, um, mm-hmm. I think can, can help um, to re- avoid repeating some of the mistakes of the past, where very high ideals um, start, you know, think, movements began with very high ideals and often went Uh, ended up in a very destructive uh, path.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember hearing, this is a politician that was quoted, I think from back in the 80s, if I'm not mistaken, but someone asked a politician what he considered the, um, you know, biggest things that we can do um, to affect society, the planet, etc., you know, kind of social issues, you know, and they're expecting like, okay, here's how you can work for climate change or racial equality and all these things. He's like, we need to work on the self-centeredness that we find within our hearts <laughs> we need yeah. to work on our presence in the world yeah. and loving our neighbors and I was like oh yeah. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean that's yeah that's where it starts um yeah and that's um just as hurt people hurt people loving people also create loving people
1: yeah yeah, yeah. And, and I think what can if we're not careful also what can can often happen is we can take our own unresolved pain that we're carrying in our body and unconsciously wed it to the social issue that we care about and then we can we can look to try to fix and fight the pain that's in here out there Mm. um, which it still may be a thing out there that's really worth fighting for but if we first feel the pain within here it will change our relationship to the work to the thing out there um, in a very positive way and again, yes. allow for, for more effective action.
0: Excellent point. Yeah. It's, I mean, essentially owning your shadow first instead of yeah. projecting it out there and um, yeah. attacking whoever you've attached it to. Right. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Mm. This has been juicy. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Great to yeah. talk about this. These realms.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm wondering uh, if before we close, if you are able or interested in sharing with us some sort of embodied practice, be it from Sistema or or otherwise that you like to share with people.
1: Certainly, I'd be happy to. So as I mentioned, one of the things that we focus on a lot in Sistema is working with breath. Mm-hmm. And so this is a, a breath kind of based practice and um, but I'll do it as, as sort of first just working with the breath. And then the last part, I'll invite people to, um, to add uh, the, um, the, the spoken, the uh, Kyrie liaison of sort hmm. of the Jesus prayer of simply uh, Lord have mercy or, or God, uh, God's mercy, invoking God's mercy. Beautiful. So um, so wherever, wherever you are as you're, as you're listening to this, um, if you're not driving a car <laughs> or doing something like that, but if you're a place where you can be still. I invite you to, to place your, your feet in contact with the ground um, and to, in a relaxed position. Close your eyes. And begin by simply noticing your breath. And for this practice, I invite you to breathe in through your nose and then out through your mouth. I invite you to begin by noticing the sensation of breath coming in at the level of your nose and sensation of the breath leaving your lips through your mouth. And now to change your shift your awareness to the sensation of the breath entering into your head, up into the area of your skull, everything in through the nose Out through the mouth. And as you breathe in and out, I invite you to notice the subtle sensation of expansion that comes with the in-breath, the breath fills your body, and the subtle sensation of release or relaxation that happens with the out-breath. Now allow your awareness to shift to the sensation of the breath, breathing into your throat and breathing out from your throat. Expanding on the in-breath, releasing and relaxing on the out. We're not pushing for maximal depth of breath, nor is it shallow. It's somewhere in the middle, just a natural relaxed breath. And now with your awareness, notice the sensation of the breath coming into the upper part of your chest, kind of out over your shoulders, breathing in, expanding, breathing out, relaxing. And now notice the sensation coming down into the fullness of your chest. Your rib cage, breathing in, expanding, breathing out, relaxing. Notice the expansion of the rib cage forward, the front of your body, breathing in, expanding, now relaxing. Expansion of the rib cage backwards up into your back expanding, relaxing. And now into your sides, the sides of your ribs, breathing in, expanding. And now relaxing. I invite you to notice the sensation as you breathe of breathing into your solar plexus or into your belly, breathing in, expanding. and out relaxing. Now the breath continues into your hips, into your pelvis, breathing in, expanding out, relaxing. And now, as best you're able, allow the sensation of expansion of the in-breath to flow down all the way into your thighs, into your upper legs, breathing in and expanding. Now, relaxing. Now, moving down into your lower legs, into your calves and shins, breathing in, expanding, out, relaxing. Now, to continue the breath, coming all the way down into your feet, sensation of breathing in and expanding, out, and relaxing. Now I invite you to bring that same awareness of breath expanding and relaxing into your arms, so into your shoulders, so your upper arms, biceps, and triceps. lower arms, forearms. Now into your hands. In, expanding, breathing out, relaxing. now I invite you to allow that sensation to expand to your whole body so as you breathe in then the whole body expand like your body is this one lung breathing in and expanding breathing out and relaxing breathing in and expanding and out and relaxing From this place of a full body breath, I invite you to um, add the prayer, Kyrie Eleison, on the in-breath. And same prayer, Kyrie Eleison, on the out-breath. So breathing in, expanding, Kyrie Eleison. Breathing out and relaxing, Kyrie Eleison. Eleison. Yeah. Do this spoken softly, or you can do it simply keeping the, the prayer uh, within. Either way is fine. Expanding, breathing in, Kyrie Son. Breathing out, relaxing, Kyrie eleison. In and expanding, Kyrie Son. And out and relaxing, Kyrie eleison. Two more times, breathing in and expanding, Kyrie lay son. Breathing out and relaxing, Kyrie lay son. Breathing in and expanding, Kyrie lay son. Breathing out and relaxing, Kyrie Eleison. Invite you to gently allow the awareness of the words of the prayer to fade, returning to your breath, and to gently allow your awareness of your breath to shift from your whole body to drawing inward, from your limbs to your core, so from your hips to your head, expanding, relaxing. Now shifting your attention simply to experience of your chest, expanding and relaxing, breathing in, expanding, breathing out, relaxing. Shifting that awareness now just to the throat, breathing in and expanding. And now relaxing. Now to just a sensation of breath entering through your nose and leaving through your lips and expanding. And When you're ready, you can simply turn your attention from breath to sensations, maybe move your hands a little bit, move your feet, shift your position wherever you're sitting and gently open your eyes, tune in more fully to your outside environment.
0: Thank you. Welcome. I think I've melted into a puddle.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's lovely. Yeah. Mm. I feel like that is a perfect way to gift everyone at the end of our conversation.
1: Grateful for the chance to to be in this conversation and to share in this time with with all of you, wherever you may be.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your thoughts and your experience with us. Um, And Mark, if people want to learn more about you and what you're up to, where should they go?
1: Yes, well, probably the easiest way is we do have a, a website that's metanoiavt.com um, and that just gives a little, a little overview of, of the life that Lisa and I are trying to create um, in terms of our own embodied practice and there's a, um, a series of reflections that are on there as well of, of you know, places where we've been um, exploring and articulating over the last year and a half or so. So that would be be one place to begin exploring and there's, there's contact information for us uh, that's there as well.
0: Awesome. Metanoia. Dot, or just metanoia vt
1: metanoiavt.com.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, I encourage you all to check that out and, um, and to return to this, um, conversation later in the future. It'll be up both on Facebook and we'll eventually get it onto podcast platforms so that you can listen again to not only some interesting conversation, but such a delightful practice as well. So Mark, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you everyone for tuning in to listen. Yes. Thank you, Kelly. Mm -hmm.